letting me preach, and I want to start with Isaiah 53 and just share one, two verses. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I just want to be reminded that we have a Savior. That even in this moment that God is looking upon us, that we are his people in his presence, and he is our Savior who carries our griefs and carries our sorrows, who takes away our sins and gives us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And the way that I want to start before I talk about the Great Commission is to ask the Lord in our midst this morning to heal. And if you're in pain, if you have physical pain this morning, if you have chronic pain in your shoulders, in your neck, in your ankles, in your knees, if you have a disease that cannot be healed by the doctors, we're going to ask Jesus to heal even as we're discussing his word. Or maybe your heart is sick. Maybe your heart is broken because of a family member who's lost or hurting. Maybe there's an addiction in your life or your friend's life. We're just going to ask Jesus right now that he would heal and deliver as we listen to his word. And so I just want to encourage you with, even if you have the tiniest bit of faith, to say, Jesus, will you touch me today during the preaching of your word? Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us a Savior who cares, carries our sorrows, who binds up the brokenhearted, who set the captives free, who heals the sick. And so I am asking you that you would do this even now. Even now that back pain would go in Jesus' name. Even now that lungs would be restored in the name of Jesus. Even now that addictions would be broken off and the taste of things that should not be consumed would be come like trash. Lord, we just pray for freedom. We pray for those who are brokenhearted that you would comfort them now in this moment. Lord Jesus, you are King. You are the sovereign Lord over all creation and you purchased our freedom on the cross and we ask that the cross and all its benefits would be applied to us in this place this morning. Amen. I want you to imagine a woman an aboriginal Taiwanese woman, a native Taiwanese who lives in the mountains, in a poor village, the only Christian in her village. And I want you to imagine a man, an outsider, who comes to that village and promises the young people a job in another country where they can make far more money if they'll just go to Cambodia. Now, this is a mountain village of aboriginal People, the opportunities are far and few between. There isn't much of a future. There aren't many people 
who will help them. And so these young people, over 70 young people, decide that they will leave their village in the mountains, go from Taiwan, an island nation off the coast of China, to Cambodia. They get there, and the families don't know what's going on, and when they arrive, their passports are taken. Their phones are taken. They're held until they're willing to work against their will, and they're treated as if they're slaves. Nobody in their village understands what's going on. The only communication they can send is, is screened by their captors. Somehow, a young woman gets a message to her friend, and another member of of this tribe escapes and makes his way back to Taiwan to share with the village what's happened, that the young people have not been given jobs, they've been enslaved. And this mother gets a message from her daughter's friend that says, Mom, please rescue me. Now this is a, a mother, an aboriginal woman, a farmer's wife. She goes to the local police but the local police don't care. They're not going to do anything about an international case. What is this mother going to do? Put yourself in her shoes. Imagine that you got a message from your child, please rescue me. And you know she's enslaved in another country, but you have no idea what you can do, and there is no one who can help you. What would you do in that moment? How would you feel in that moment? Would you cry out to the Lord? Because what can you do if there is no one who will help you, no authority who will help you? The police will not help you. All you can do is cry out to God. But would you have hope? Imagine crying out to God night after night, just knowing that your daughter is in trouble, but being powerless to save her. Around this time... I took one of my elders, a Taiwanese man named Eric, and my assistant, an African man named Joe. And we said, we're going to go on mission. We're going to get in our car, and we're going to go to the tallest mountain in Taiwan, Jade Mountain. And we don't know what we're going to do there, but we're going to trust that God will lead us to someone who needs help. So we get in the car. This is a four-hour journey. About three hours into the ride, two or three hours, I say to Joe and Eric, God has assembled the nations in this car, a, a white American, a black African, and an Asian man. I say, we need to pray that God would lead us to the right person. And let's pray. And Joe, after prayer, says, is there a fountain on the mountain? I said, Joe, we're going to a mountain. We're not going to a resort. <laughs> and I Google it. I'm Googling, is there a fountain on the mountain? And I Google it, and there's no fountain on this mountain. And I think Joe is maybe sleepy or something. And so we forget about it. But 10 minutes later, as we're driving down the highway, Eric points out the, the window of the car and says, look, is that it? And on a hillside, there's water shooting up into the air, 60 feet above the trees, like a fire hose spraying straight in the air. We're confused by this. We wonder, what could this be? 
Let's go see. So we pull off the highway, and it's, this is an aboriginal area. There's farmlands, and we're driving up the hillside, up the mountain, looking for the water. We don't see it. We get to a dead end, and I think, well, I guess it was nothing. We turn around, and as we're heading down the mountain, Joe says, stop the car. Get out. This is the place. Now, Joe is my assistant. I'm the senior pastor of the church, and I'm not used to being ordered around by Joe. <laughs> but I say, okay, let's do it. He's, he's my good friend. And I know he hears from the Lord, so I say, let's get out. Let's walk around. So we walk around, and we walk up the mountain looking, wondering, has God brought us to this place for a purpose? And we get back to the very same dead end, but this time there is an aboriginal woman who's outside doing some yard work and Eric the elder of my church walks up to her and he says we're from a church in Taipei on a mission do you need prayer and she says I haven't been able to sleep for two weeks my daughter is in Cambodia and I don't know how to rescue her and the story comes out and I think, what are we going to do about that? I'm overwhelmed. I have no idea how we could rescue a girl in Cambodia. And I think, but I know God has brought us to this place. And so we pray for her. We pray for her daughter. And we wonder, why did God direct us? As we're leaving, she says, how did you find us? I said, well, there was water shooting up on the hillside, and we followed it. And she said, oh, it's right over there. It's a broken water pipe. We go back to our hotel. All right, we make it to our hotel that night. And I remember 10 years before, I met a man in South Korea who helped trafficking victims in Cambodia. I message him and I explain the situation. I say, can you help? He says, I can't, but I know another organization. Let me talk to them. So he contacts this organization in Washington, D.C. Within 24 hours, the lead, one of the leading anti-trafficking organizations in the world has this aboriginal woman's cell phone number. Two weeks later, they locate her daughter. Two weeks after that, they rescue her daughter. Within a month, her daughter is back home, and my church in Taipei went to celebrate with the family. Psalm 102 says this, Let this be recorded for a generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who delivers. Our God is a God who looks down from heaven and sees those who are imprisoned in chains, in addictions, and brokenhearted, and he rescues and he saves. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins to restore us to God. He died that the kingdom of heaven might come, that we would become children of the King, 
that we would inherit the freedom God intended for us from the beginning. And He said to His followers, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. See, God did not want His freedom, His healing, His power, His forgiveness of sins to be restricted to one people group. He wanted all nations, all peoples. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And we understand authority. We understand government authority. There are some things that you cannot do on your own property because you don't have the authority. And you have to wait for the authority to give you permission. There are places that you need to stop. There are bills that you need to pay because someone in authority said you needed to. And it doesn't matter how angry you get, how upset you get, or what words you say. If the authority says this is what you must do, you must submit. We know this, right? This is the world that we live in. Jesus says, I have all authority. There is no authority that can stand against Jesus. He's, there is no human being that can stop Jesus. There is no spiritual power that can stop Jesus. There is no criminal gang in Cambodia that can hold a captive when God says she will be free. And it's because he has all authority that he says, I want you to go. It's because he has all authority that we can be in a city four hours away and God can say, I will give you the GPS directions. You won't even know it until you meet the person I'm going to set free. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. First, baptize them. Baptizing is, is total commitment. It's a, a total abandonment of the old way of life to the new way of life. A disciple is someone who doesn't just know about his teacher, but is like his teacher. That our life would be conformed to the life of Christ. Our life, in our character, we would be like him. We would forgive our enemies. We would be humble. We would serve those. We would love children. We would give ourselves away for the sake of others and for their freedom. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And he's saying, go and make them of all nations. God does not want one nation in heaven. He didn't tell his disciples, go and make Jews of all nations. He didn't say, go and make Greeks of all nations. He said, make disciples of all nations. And that word nations, it means ethnic groups. Every tribe, every language. We do not lose our cultural characteristics when we come into the kingdom of God because God created each culture for His name and for His glory. And each culture, each tribe, each language has a glory that's been given from God. And we don't lose it when we become disciples. We redeem it. You know, I was reading about and I've been practicing my pronunciation with winter, the, the autumn people. I was reading about who they were because I didn't know. And what I found out was they made the desert bloom. 
that what was a wasteland to other people's group, other people groups was a garden to them. They were given resources from a Jesuit missionary who arrived with cattle, horses, black-eyed peas, garbanzo beans, wheat and fruit trees, and they took those things and they made them bloom in this desert. Whenever they were given resources, they used them. They were not a people who survived in the desert. They were a people who thrived in the desert. They were a people who gave to those in need. In fact, they were called the, and, and the good Samaritans of the desert. When other people were dying, when other people were lost, when other people were thirsty, they rescued them and led them through the desert. At one point, and, and I'm just reciting things you know, but this was new information to me. They cultivated 14,000 acres of the desert and had surplus, organizing their people to take care of their own needs and the needs of others, and this is the glory of God on the often people. Things that other tribes could never have imagined, never had the capacity to do. Others who saw the desert and fled, and a people who made the desert bloom. And I can't help but think that this is an anointing from the God of the universe that has never been lost, has never been revoked, but that there is also a spiritual calling for the Autumn people to be the good Samaritans of the spiritual wasteland that is America. That those who are dying in anxiety, dying in confusion, dying in fear, in the desert of this culture, that God has given your people an anointing to lead people through the desert. A calling to make disciples of all nations. A calling that's never been revoked. A God who can heal and deliver and save. And it would seem that it would be too much. It would seem, how can we, a small people, do something like this? But the Great Commission doesn't end with go. It ends with, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus partners with us. Jesus is within us. His ministry is through us. And so it's not the gifting of Peter Palma. It's not the gifting of Winter Elk. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who works through us for his glory and his kingdom. Have you ever been with someone in a place that you could not go on your own? Have you ever been in a, an office or a, a room or a resort where if you showed up on your own, they would kick you out? And someone says, Why are you, what are you doing here? Say, oh, oh, I'm with so-and-so. Oh, okay, you're fine. Have you ever been to a restaurant with someone who had more than enough money to buy the restaurant or anything on the menu and and your resources are not enough, and you're thinking, ah, I'll just get the least expensive thing, but they say, buy whatever you want. Order whatever you want. And you know, because of who you are with, 
You can order whatever you want. You see, the ministry that we do is not by ourselves as if God sent us out and then forgot about us and said, I'll check back with you when you die. Jesus says, I am, I am with you always in every place. And who is Jesus and what does he do? Isaiah 61 tells us what Jesus does. Jesus is anointed by God to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn to, in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. What Jesus is saying is, I am anointed by God to go out and to find the people who are broken in sorrow, whose hearts are crushed, by depression and anxiety and fear and to heal their hearts. I am sent out to find those who are captive to drugs, captive to addictions, captive to sin, and to open the prisons and to say, come out, that there is a release and a freedom that Jesus brings. But then there's a transformation. Because if you know someone who's drug addicted, if you know someone who's lost and broken by depression, your heart is filled with pity and compassion. And you think, what a waste, what a shame that this is the life they're living. And Jesus says, I set those people free. And they become, he says, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. There are some people, their lives, either through their own destructive habits or through the injustice that's been forced upon them, they have nothing but ashes to show for their life. And Jesus says, I'm going to take your ashes and I'm going to give you a beautiful headdress to wear. I'm going to take your sadness and I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to turn you from someone who's curled up in a fetal position on the floor waiting to die to be an oak of righteousness that people would look at your life and say, that is the glory of God. And so there's a personal transformation. But what's the next thing? They will build up the ancient ruins and raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. It hasn't just been a personal devastation. It's been a cultural devastation for generations. And Jesus says, what I do is I transform people to the point where not only are they oaks of righteousness, but they rebuild their culture. They rebuild their people. They rebuild their cities. This is what Jesus does. This is the power of Jesus working through His people. I want to tell you a story about some missionaries 
the Longs. They were missionaries. The Long family, they were missionaries to Argentina, 1949 they went. They went and God sent them. And, and why do you go on missions? Because Jesus says, go and make disciples. And so they went from, a, from America to Argentina to make disciples. But you know what? Nobody wanted to listen to them. Nobody cared. It didn't matter how hard they worked. Go door to door, knocking on the doors, hand out tracts, have evangelistic meetings. God told them to buy a plot of land and build a church. And they built this mud hut church because that's all they could afford. And nobody came. It was only their family. And for seven years, the Argentinians ignored them, laughed at them, mocked them. And they fasted and they prayed and they wondered, God, why have you brought us to this place? Is there any purpose? And then they began reaching out to the native tribes. And slowly, people began getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't many, but it was a few. And then one day they had a conference, a May conference, where three tribes came together, 64 people, out in the desert, the Chaco Desert. And missionary Long, Brother Long, read from Isaiah 53. The same verses that I read to you, and as he did, the people said, Amen. So he read it again, and they said, Amen. And he read it again, and again, and again, and again. He read it seven times, and then suddenly there were these screams. My hernia is gone. I can hear. I can see. There was a, a boy who was almost dead who had been carried on a cot and he jumped up and started running around the church. And God visited the native tribes. And after this conference, they went home and they told their people, there's a house where there's healing. And so first they started coming in threes and fours. And the, the family began praying for them and teaching them the word of God, and then they got healed. And then it spread to the point where one day they woke up and there were 300 people outside their house waiting to be prayed for. Because the power of God was in that place. Over the course of eight months, thousands of people came to Christ. Finally, there was an Argentinian woman who came who'd been in a bicycle accident. And she said, can you pray for me? I've been in pain ever since this accident. She received prayer and she got healed, but one leg was shorter than the other. She came back and she said, my leg is short. I can't wear high heels. <laughs> that seems like a vain thing. You'd think the Lord would say, be content. <laughs> but he prays for her. It says, when you go home and put on your high heels, God will lengthen your leg. She goes home, she gets healed. And from that moment on, she tells all of her friends, if you go to that house, there's healing in that place. What was in that place? The Son of God was in those people. The Son of God doing the work of God was in those people. Now, God doesn't have favorites, does he? He doesn't favor one tribe over another tribe, one church over another church, just like we don't favor our children. God is perfect, and he says, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, and surely I'm with you. But we have forgotten what it means for Jesus to be with us. We have forgotten the power of the Word of God. We've forgotten the living God and His availability, that He is the God who is here in this place. The Word says that He looks down from heaven. He looks at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. God looks down in this place, on this reservation. He looks down on Phoenix and he knows the people who are doomed to die. And you know some of the people who are doomed to die. You know that if they continue without intervention in their lives, that they will die. It's just a matter of time. And God has compassion on every single person here. He knows every broken heart, every broken life, every crushed spirit, and his word is go and make disciples and surely I am with you always. I want to encourage you today. I want to awaken something within you. I want to awaken the truth and stir your faith to believe that the God who visited Chaco, Argentina can visit this place. The God who visited the Villa San Martin can visit this assembly, this church, this room where those who walk into this place can encounter the living God and addictions are set free and broken bones are healed and arthritis is healed and confusion is healed and suicidal thoughts are finished and drug addictions are set free. This is what our Savior does. But he's looking for his people to believe and to act. God doesn't give his power to fools, does he? He gives his power to those who pursue him. Paul says to Timothy that if you cleanse yourself of dishonorable things, you become a vessel useful for any good work. Jesus says that if you seek, or God says that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. If we are missing the power of God in our midst, it's not because God has changed. We've all met people, right? Maybe we've gone 10 years without seeing them, and then we get back with them and we say, you've changed. You're, you're not the same. You used to be like this, but you're different now. God has not changed. Between the writing of these words and this day, God has not changed. His power remains the same and his power remains available for his people who will seek them with all their heart. There was a point when God told the exiles in Israel to shake the dust off, throw the chains off, to stand up, to believe who they were. And believers across the earth, whether it be in Taiwan, whether it be in South Korea or America, we can forget who we are. 
and allow the world around us to tell us who we are and what our identity is, but there is a need for believers across the earth to shake the dust off, to stand up and say, I know I'm a child of the king, and I know he's given me a mission and a purpose. He created me to be an oak of righteousness. He created me to be a man or a woman who rebuilds the ancient ruins so that others can come into a safe place and be set free. There have been people throughout history who have recognized the promises of God, that his word is true, and they have clung to him like Jacob and said, I will not let you go until your glory comes into this house. I will not stop until the addicts on my street are free. I will not stop until I see your power. What I've heard you do like Habakkuk, there are people throughout history who've said like Habakkuk, what I've heard you do in the past, I've heard of your great fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in my day. And God does not despise anyone who prays like that. In fact, I think heaven is waiting and longing for someone to intercede and stand on the gap and say, God, I will seek your face. I will get on my knees. I will fast. I will pray. I will intercede for my people until your glory comes and the city is rebuilt. I want to encourage you to be that person. I want to encourage you to shake the dust off and stand up and say, I know that I am a child of the king and I know what my king can do in this place and God, I will not let go of you until you come. And it doesn't need to be 30 people. God responds to one, but God moves when there's even a small group, two, three, Four who gather and say, we will not let the Lord go until we see his glory. I want to encourage you to start coming on Thursday nights. I want to encourage you to start setting that side of time, that time aside and saying, God, we are expecting your glory to come to this reservation and we are expecting people from all over Phoenix, all over Arizona, all over the Southwest to come into this room to meet the living God. Thursday, or Thursday, I'll be teaching how do we pray for this. So if God is stirring you, I, I want to encourage you to come back. Thursday night, we'll talk about how do we pray for God to do this. But today, what I want to ask you is to check your pain. We prayed at the beginning of this message that God would heal pain. Is there anyone whose pain is gone? Go ahead and check it. Check your neck, check your leg. Anybody notice any difference? Yes? Who would say, my pain is different? I see smiles and laughter. Are you, yes, we have one. Can you share? And the pain is gone. Amen.
can you, can you, sh what did you expect? You couldn't lift your arm up and now you can, amen. God is giving us a glimpse. He's giving us a glimpse and I think he's saying, pursue me. These are small things for the living God. But when the broken man who has kids who aren't being fed, who aren't being clothed, repents and turns to Jesus and begins working and providing for his children, this is a miracle that God can do and he will do when the drug addict gets set free, when those who, cannot, who are in constant pain are set free and they give their lives to Jesus. This is what Jesus can do. May you as a church, may my family believe that the Jesus of Isaiah 61 dwells in us. And his desire is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. That his name would be glorified. That his word would be honored. And that we would be a people who imitate him by following his word and by loving others like him. Let's pray that God would give us, that he would speak to some here to pursue him like Jacob, to wrestle with him until his glory comes into this house. Father, we stand in awe of your word. We thank you for the, the arms that you have touched. And Lord, we're now we're asking that you would touch hearts. Lord, we know that you desire to set nations free, that you desire to set people free who are doomed to death. And Lord, we know that your power is available to us, that your love is available to us, and that you have called us to go. And so Lord, we are asking that you would put it into our hearts to relentlessly pursue you, to intercede, to seek your face with all our heart until we see your glory come. And we pray that in this place, People would come from all over the region to be healed, to be delivered, to be transformed. I pray that it would be said, come to Salt River Assembly. They will pray for you and you will be healed. Come and they will pray for your addiction and Jesus will change your life. Come and be delivered. Come and let your marriage be restored come and be set free. Lord, we pray that this church would be an embassy of heaven, that the kingdom would come, the kingdom would reign in this place in our hearts. Oh Lord, set us apart to seek your face today and may your glory come. In Jesus' name, amen.